In this episode of Artsy Engineering Radio, Matt asks engineer Chris Pappas who he is and how he got here. Stay tuned to learn about BBSs and how skateboarding started Chris's career in software. Welcome back to Artsy Engineering Radio. My name is Matt Dole, and I'm here starting a sort of mini-series that I'm calling, for lack of a better name, Who Are You and How Did You Get Here? Or for short. And I'm here today <laughs> with uh, Chris Pappas. I'll let you introduce yourself. How about that? Because my first question for you is, who are you? Hi, uh, my name is Chris. I'm a senior engineer, artsy. I kind of tend to work a little bit more on the sort of like front end aspects of the code base, but also do like a little bit of Node.js and design system stuff. And yeah, kind of keeping the front ends running smoothly. Awesome. Chris, I've got a few questions I'm going to jump into you, jump into with you today. It'll get smoother over time, I'm sure. The first question, besides who are you, is when did you start thinking of yourself as a software engineer? Well, my, my software journey started pretty early when I was, I don't know, probably about seven or eight or something. My father bought a, like a little home PC computer. And I don't know how I got involved in this. It's like, I literally have no clue how it happened. I cannot remember. But pretty soon after that, I was uh, logging into BBSs. And so it was like before the internet, you know, you log into like a, a local telephone number and there'd be like a sort of like ANSI graphics version of like a website that would contain stuff. And so I got pretty... Wow, I got to be honest. This makes me feel uh, young, I guess, that I, <laughs> I have never heard of BDSs before. <laughs> they, were, they were so cool. It was really interesting. They're fun. You know, they're games, information, you know, like all kinds of stuff. So I got really interested in that. And through that, I, I started becoming more and more interested in like making animations for the BBSs, you know, like little sequences of graphics or whatever. And at that point in time, I was like pretty young. And that led me to uh, my first programming language, which was QBasic. And so it was like very simple, like sequential programming. And I think I was in like fifth grade or something. So I started doing that for a little while and then ended up putting it down and getting into like other kids stuff or whatever. But then when high school came back around, I was very, very interested in skateboarding. And at the same time, I was still kind of like, peripherally interested in animation and I discovered Macromedia Flash which allowed you to do like pretty cool like easy animation stuff and I learned that you could publish it to a website and so from there I was like okay you know like I'm friends with all of like the local skateboarders around town and there's no website that shows video footage of us and this is at the very this is before YouTube and stuff so I started um, going to the skate park and recording videos of my friends and I created this website called HoustonSkateboarding.com. From there, it ended up getting like pretty popular somehow. And yeah, this is Houston, Texas we're talking about, right? Not like Houston, Alaska or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Houston, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was like kind of like our town's like Instagram at the time for skateboarding. And yeah, and so I, I learned a lot about HTML at that time. And I kept learning a lot about Flash and kind of like, the coolest thing happened and that is when I was in high school I was like I really did not like school at all like all I wanted to do was skateboard you know it didn't the curriculum didn't engage me at all and one of the people that I filmed on houstonskateboarding.com it turns out that his father 
owned a web hosting company in Houston and he saw this website. And so he mentioned it to his father. And so I ended up getting an internship in high school. And so I could do work study. And so I basically got to no longer go to school, which I hated. I got to continue (laughs) skateboarding and I got to kind of start learning my craft. And so that was kind of like how it, how it all got started. Then like fast forward, you know, many years or whatever, I continue down the flash path. And the, the cool thing about flash, which a lot of people talk about is how it really married the sort of like visual side of things with the coding side of things, because after a certain point in time, you know, when you're animating things by keyframe, you're like, how do I make this more efficient? How do I do it automatically? And so you start picking up little bits of scripting languages. And the first language inside of Flash resembled in a lot of ways JavaScript. So I started learning a lot about ActionScript. Um, and then as like little contract jobs I would take on got more complex, I learned more and more about like proper engineering, you know, or wrote my first class and, and so on all to kind of like help make these Flash websites better and a little bit more efficient. And then in 2010, I think, I was living in New York and like Flash was like at kind of a cool peak. Like they're about to release a new version that had like really awesome, like GPU powered, like 3D capabilities. And they were releasing different extensions for the phone. So you could run Flash content on the phone. And so Flash was like at a peak But then uh, I think it was Steve Jobs issued a memo and it was like, look, the future of the internet is the mobile phone, which means low power devices, which means open source technologies and standards. And in that moment in time, like basically like ended flash completely. And wow, that's wild. I've never heard that, that like connection drawn before. Yeah. It was really sudden. And very soon after that, a lot of the flash jobs, you know, started to kind of dry up and I had to make like a pretty rapid um, career pivot towards JavaScript. And at that time, you know, I wasn't even really aware of GitHub or anything like that. You know, like I was kind of insulated in my own like little flash world. And so when I started looking at JavaScript, it was like this incredibly enlightening experience because suddenly I discovered other software engineers outside of just the people I kind of like work directly with. I discovered open source software. I learned how to like dig into source code and like really look at how things are built and kind of like be able to look at other people's craft and start thinking about it as a craft versus as just kind of more of an occupation. And so it it really opened up a lot in, in my life and my career. And so, yeah, that's kind of like, I would say 2010 was when I started kind of really getting serious about engineering. That's really cool. So you had, you'd been working on computers for, uh, you know, a decade plus at that point, right? First as like an intern, or even before being an intern, just as a, an individual interested in building cool websites uh, through, you know, internships and stuff. But like 2010, you feel like was kind of that, that turning point where you were like, ah, yes it's time to, you know, be a software engineer. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It was, and it was interesting too, because it was before, before the whole flash debacle and like, you know, moving to JavaScript or whatever, you know, by that time I was like getting into my twenties and I kind of was like interested in a lot of other things. And so I was like, I'd go to work and I wouldn't really think about it. You know, I I just kind of put my work aside and go to work daily and then do other stuff. And it wasn't until, 
you know, I discovered JavaScript and open source. I started thinking of myself as actually an engineer and like really becoming interested in it as a field that I would then focus on outside of work. That's really cool. No, I, I love also that your intro to programming was skateboarding. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty cool track. Totally. <laughs> so how about this? What was the best decision uh, that you made in your career thus far, at least? Oh, that's a great question. I think probably the best decision that I made in my career was pretty early on to basically only work at agencies instead of getting like a full-time job at some, you know, company doing kind of like similar things because working at agencies like taught me like a number of things like pretty early on. And the first one being like how to work with a lot of different people, you know, versus like kind of falling into a team and getting used to the working styles that one gets used to. I'm working at an agency. It's like, you're constantly getting shifted to new jobs, new bosses. And so it teaches you a lot about teamwork. And then the other thing working at agencies kind of helped helped me with was learning how to work efficiently and learning how to kind of like work on a lot of different things in the best way that you can because you're constantly under deadlines. And so I, I feel like it's had the effect of helping me, you know, now that I work at, you know, software company to kind of be able to prioritize certain things that might otherwise have been opaque, you know because I'm so used to working under deadlines. And and I worked for agencies for, I would say, quite a few years, many years, maybe like seven years or something like that, before I finally like sat down. And I was like, okay, now it's time to kind of like actually stay at a company for a while and learn about what it means to not just build greenfield tech, but to actually improve things, and make things sustainable over long periods of time, which is an entirely different sort of skill set. Um, yeah, definitely. Which I think has, has paid off, you know, it's like artsy is my longest job, you know, I just passed my fourth year. So. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> that's a, that's a solid chunk of time. Yeah. Especially at a company that's, you know, what we're, I think around 10 years old at this point. So yeah. close to half. It's weird to think about it like that. I haven't thought it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny to think about, you know, I, I joined, I guess, almost five years ago at this point. I think I must have been an intern when you started and, and just how much artsy has, has changed in that time, both in terms of, you know, the people and, um, and the culture and the parts that have stayed the same and have not, but so best decision was uh, working at agencies and getting to have sort of that like broad set of experiences, working with a lot of different people before settling in any one place and, and just like, you know, working, learning how to kind of do the opposite and just like maintain one piece of, of software yep. over time. Totally. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. What about this? What, what in your work gets you the most excited right now? The, the things that excite me the most are, are generally kind of more architectural in nature. It's like I kind of talked earlier about how, you know, around 2010, I started really looking at software as like a craft and, and it keeps kind of evolving because it went from being a sort of like technical craft where you have to have like a lot of information at your disposal that you can kind of like reference and use to assemble different pieces to where I feel like now at this point in my career, I kind of regard it more like painting or some kind of like art form. Because it's like you get to a certain level of proficiency where you don't need to think about like the individual component parts and you can just think about the idea 
and finding like the best possible way to kind of express it. And I find that with architectural sorts of decision-making, you have like a big palette. You're working with like a lot of ideas. It touches like a lot of different surface areas and it kind of allows you to, to really sit down and think like, how can I simplify this? Which will then, you know, five years down the line or whatever, still be simple for future devs mm. once I'm gone or wherever, you know? And that kind of level of architectural thinking, I feel like touches kind of the deeper areas of the craft in a way that that definitely excites me. Like, you know, and Artsy, we just spend like quite a lot of time, I would say incrementally over probably since 2018, you know, migrating our pages to React, you know, erecting like a sort of homegrown framework for server-side rendering, you know, which would then mount on the client as like a single page application. And all those pieces kind of came together like Legos. And it was fun kind of having that idea back then and then kind of working to kind of execute it. And it just felt so much more like an art form than like an engineering practice. And so so those kinds of challenges are, are definitely my favorite. Yeah. As someone who's, you know, my engineering career is currently about two years long. Um, it's hard to sort of imagine having that kind of foresight and and looking that far ahead when you're thinking about like, okay, you know, how are we going to build like this new feature that someone has asked for? Like, oh yeah, it's time for us to update this page. And then thinking, okay, not just how do we get there, but how can we do this in a way so that two years, three years, five years down the road, we are really, we're able to continue to build on this as a foundation or continue to like replicate this pattern somewhere else. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, to get a little more into the specifics of that, because I know you've you worked on it for a really long time, how have you felt about the decision on a high level, I would say, to adopt React and maybe on a more specific level to do some of this work with you know really specific kind of tailor-made uh, server-side rendering stuff? Because you're talking about, um, I think, a repository called Fresnel, right? Um, no, or is this a different one? It's a different one. Fresnel is an interesting library in that it, that's very specific to our UI layer and our display. And it, Fresnel solves like a very interesting problem of like, how do you have multiple different responsive breakpoints in your UI that can still be server-side rendered? Um, the historical problem through time, which I don't think had been solved until Fresnel was... Um, when you hit the server and you're at the server-side render pass, you can kind of see if someone is on a mobile device, you know, there's like a, a user agent that comes back, but it's not totally accurate. And so a lot of the times you're kind of estimating if the person's on a phone or on a tablet or whatever, and the, and the layouts can kind of be different. And so Fresno solved that problem by just leveraging basic um, CSS functionality of the browser and outputting a set of breakpoints that looks just like CSS class names. And, and it's, it's kind of an original sort of idea that was that was by um, Eloy, who used to work at Artsy. Um, uh, sure. Yeah, so, but as far as uh, like React, React has been just, you know, in my opinion, like the single greatest product productivity boost that you could conceive of, you know, for an engineering team at scale. When I started, we had just started kind of experimenting here and there with like a little bit of React, but most of our pages were built using Backbone JS and um, Jade templates and so on. And there had been 
you know, a few attempts to kind of like rebuild new pages using that old technology. And the time it would take to kind of execute it would just be so long that it would be a serious risk, you know, and a lot of the sort of executive level decision-making was based upon these attempts that weren't necessarily successful. To kind of give an example of like how much more efficient uh, React has been since we've introduced it, also while sitting on top of the sort of framework that we've been working on since 2018, is we took one of our old pages, uh, I think it was slash artists, which is just an index of all the artists at Artsy. And that was still written in Backbone. Like we hadn't touched that page in years. And yeah, right. one of our engineers, Damon, during one of our future Fridays was just like, oh, this looks easy to do, like using our design system and using React. And he rebuilt the whole thing in just a couple hours <laughs> on his own. Wow. And... and yeah. And I mean, granted, he's a very talented, productive developer who has a lot of experience, but still it kind of shows you um, just how powerful React can be. And especially having a design system, kind of a framework to kind of encompass all of that. And so that that's kind of where we've we've been for the past few years is that like page after page has been rebuilt in React. Um, it's much sturdier. We get better SEO because we're now doing server-side rendering over everything. And it's also kind of gives us a lot of flexibility to evolve because of the sort of programming model that React encompasses, which is, you know, very functional programming. You send data in, you get an output, it's consistent every time, you know. And so it makes a lot of your code easier to reason about. And it's also really cool, I must say, like, I think one of the most interesting, like, unexpected side effects of adopting React and the React programming model, like, kind of taking over is that the front end has become much more deterministic. And so what you have is you have a lot of really talented backend developers who would never in the past touch the front end because it's just crazy. Like mm. suddenly using React and being like, wow, this is fun. Like, like <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. I really enjoy it. And so you're getting this awesome cross-pollination of ideas and talent from the backend side of the world into the front end. And so you're just seeing awesome user interface stuff these days. And, I know at Artsy, like everyone's pretty much full stack and some of our best front end devs are back end developers. So <laughs> <laughs> I like that. We should, uh, that sounds like a t-shirt to me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that's something that I've noticed in recent months and years too, is that I think we're a lot less siloed than we used to be that nowadays you have people on pretty much every team who are working on the app because the app is React Native. You have people who are working on our CMS system that our gallery partners use because that's, well, not entirely React app, but at least uh, piecemeal React. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing with Forest too, right? Our front end RT.net app, people are just much more willing and able to jump in on those systems, even if they're not deeply historically experienced with them because they know that they can be effective. They don't have to spend months getting up to speed on a very particular set of tools and frameworks before they can really contribute effectively. Yeah, React just instills a certain level of confidence before you've even touched any code at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The last question I asked you was, what in your work gets you the most excited? The next question I have for you is, what outside of your work gets you the most excited? Oh, I'm I'm like kind of a, a little bit of a hermit. Um, it's a podcast, but Matt, we can see each other. Like my room is surrounded by books. I'm like, <laughs> I'm I'm very interested in like book collecting, and I'm also a musician. Play a lot of guitar. 
yeah, it was like for a while, you know, I was still skateboarding and, and working, but it's funny once I hit my thirties, it's like every time I'd go out and skate, there'd be like this creeping, nagging feeling like I was going to fall and like hurt myself. And mm. it just started getting in the way of like doing good kickflips. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I kind of put that down and, and just started playing guitar a lot. So it's like I'll code and, you know, then practice the guitar a little bit, which is, which is cool. Another thing I must say about Artsy is that, you know, because we have kind of a nice flexible sort of work environment it's like i can like code for a couple hours and like practice for a couple hours and then code and you know answer pull requests at 12 a.m and then you know put the baby or wake the baby up you know it's like <laughs> it's cool sure yeah you're not necessarily just expected to be 8 a.m to 10 p.m or you know whatever uh whatever hours yeah yeah it allows one to kind of live life more fully i would say yeah, I think as a result of, you know, becoming a forced work from home employee this year, uh, I have found myself taking, you know, doing other little things during the day, right? You hop out and do the dishes, you, you know, like hang out with your partner for a little bit, or, you know, in your case, your, your kid, right? Yeah. Um, so how have you felt um, seeing the world go from mostly on site to, you know, at least the tech world, mostly remote? Um, kind of overnight, have you found that your experience as someone who's been remote for years has changed as a result? Um, no, I mean, on some level, it like I've been I've been working remote for a really long time, like even before the pandemic, and I worked remote for Artsy when I started from Washington State. Um, yeah, it's like I still really enjoyed seeing my coworkers, you know, get together in the office and, you know, I would fly out to New York like a few times a year. Um, and so suddenly seeing everyone kind of be thrown into their homes, you know, it, it doesn't affect my work at all, but it kind of some level kind of affects a little bit my morale because it was nice seeing people engage with one another, you know, in a day to day mm -hmm. in the office sort of environment or whatever. And I know just kind of like reading up, online you know people writing articles and just kind of like doing surveys and polls and whatnot about like feelings about remote work it's like very much a mixed bag um you know i'm i'm personally like pretty introverted so it doesn't like the you know the virus or whatever it hasn't felt like it's affected me a lot in terms of the environment it's like i also live in a very remote place but it's just like i really feel for people who can't get together and like look at the single monitor and like, you know, do a little bit of whiteboarding for sketching ideas or even just like sharing lunches together. Like, so in that way, it has kind of impacted me in a way that I didn't expect. Sort of impact by empathy almost, right? That you're like, well, this hasn't, you know, turned my world upside down, but I can see that it has done that for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully soon that we'll be able to get back to normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fingers remain crossed. Yeah. Um, now, you said something earlier that I wanted to touch back on, which is book collecting, which is really interesting. So you go beyond simply, oh, I want to read that book. I go get that book. I read that book. It goes on my bookshelf. But you actually are an intentional collector of interesting and or rare books. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, one subject, you know, take it or leave it or whatever is astrology. I'm, I'm very, very interested in that because it goes back, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And lots of, you know, the primary sources that you would kind of want to refer to um, have printed books that are like out of print. So it's like for my birthday this year, it's like 
was like, Catherine, you know, I'd really want, you know, this book that's pretty expensive. And she just kind of like rolled her eyes or whatever and got it for me or whatever. <laughs> and very excitedly read it, you know, delicately. But, um, but yeah, it's that sort of thing, just kind of like going pretty deep into different subjects and really trying to kind of like take in as much as you can, which you often can't without older, rare books, which we now have the great fortune of being able to buy because of the internet. Yeah. Were you someone who was, you know, hunting through antique shops or, you know, rare bookshops, uh, checking out the dusty shelves to try to find astrology or other things that you were super interested in? Yeah. I like, for example, when I used to live in New York, I spent a lot of time at the Strands rare books section. Oh, I've never actually, I, I lived in New York for like five years. I don't think I've ever set foot in the Strand. I, I'm pretty sure that's like makes me a heretic, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was also one of those things I was like, oh, I'll get to it eventually. And now I'm like, well, uh, you know. It uh, hasn't really been possible for the last, you know, year and change. So, and they're they're struggling right now. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Also, you know, you you'd hope that it's such an institution that it makes it uh, makes it through in some form. Right. Well, okay. Uh, I want to wrap us up here because we've already been going for almost thirty minutes. Um, and yeah, I, this has been a blast. The last question I have for you is: if you could only use one keyboard shortcut for the rest of your life, what would it be? And, and let me, all right, I'm going to qualify this a little bit before I even give you a chance to answer because you're not allowed to say like copy paste or like, uh, you know, like uh, command N for open a new window. I, the, the most interesting keyboard shortcut that you would notice if it were gone. How about that? I personally really like command shift Z, not because of what it's originally mapped to do, but because I have a window manager, which allows me to immediately expand whatever I'm looking at into full screen. I use it like so much it's just crazy yeah and lots of like little like keyboard shortcut hacks you know, thanks to like them and stuff but i don't know <laughs> yeah. well, hey, if you've got any other interesting ones throw them out there um what uh what window manager is that um moom it's a uh, osx ah, yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty sweet it's not like super hacker style where you know like you find some of them this is like a nice little like has like a little GUI interface or whatever, but it but you can remap it to everything and it's it's really useful. I find it to be like a nice elegant piece of software. That's delightful. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> well, window management, uh, skateboarding, rare book collecting, uh, and a career in software, and you know that's uh, a lot to a lot to cover. So, Chris, thank you for joining me for this journey and. Um, telling me and our listeners a little bit about who you are and how you got here. Yeah. Thank you for having me.